BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Gina, and welcome to Primetime. The new poll from Scott Rasmussen and Just the News that we talked about last night here on the show is making big waves in the political world. It asked, if President Trump left the Republican Party and formed the Patriot Party, how would you vote in the 2024 presidential election? That poll found that in that case, a measly 17% would vote Republican. Hmm. 46% would vote Democrat and 23% would vote for the Patriot Party that they probably never heard of much before the last month or so. This poll is a big deal, as some would say, and just the news of this poll could change our entire political trajectory. In fact, in some ways it has already because here we are talking about it. Before this poll, most of the so-called experts and political talking heads on TV were saying that third parties never work. They say that voters would never sign on to a third party, and it was even reported that President Trump had already decided against the idea. But then, here comes this poll showing everyone that a third party isn't just possible, it would actually overtake the existing GOP immediately. Now, serious political minds out there right now are wondering, hmm, is this the time? And I've had some of these conversations and they can get heated. Is this the moment as the GOP is failing its voters? Is this the time to figuratively burn the Republican Party to the ground and rebuild it into something new? Is this the time to form the Patriot Party with Trump as the leader and walk away from the grand old party? Well, that is the question that I will ask. Our famous debaters on that topic, John Fredericks and Maggie Vandenberg, coming up a little bit later in the show. We had this debate just last week on the show and received such a huge response from you uh, that we decided to have them back. And now this poll has uh, been released, and so it's time to continue that debate right here tonight. We're going to do it for you. But first, let's head on to our hosts and correspondents around America. Let's check in with our own Carrie Sheffield in Washington, D.C. Carrie, go ahead. Hey there, Dr. Dina. Yes, want to give you the latest from the Biden administration on its executive orders on health care. Now, according to The Federalist and other reports, the Biden administration, through a stroke of the pen, has frozen a Trump rule aimed at lowering insulin and EpiPen prices. They said that if the previous administration's policies raise, quote, fact, law, or policy concerns, the Biden HHS will delay them and consult with the Office of Management and Budget about other actions. Now, this was an ongoing battle that former President Trump had with health care executives, where he was really trying to push 
for lower prices for consumers. I had a physician on my program this morning who was talking about this, and she said it in particular would affect people who are from rural hospitals and people who need government subsidized health care in particular. So a lot of these folks don't have very good insurance, so it will really potentially hit them hard uh, when it comes to their pocketbook. The other issue here is the political issue. The Republicans noticed this. This is a tweet from Mary Vaught, who is the executive director of the Senate Conservatives Fund uh, to elect Republicans to the Senate. And she noticed this. She says that uh, Biden reversed the executive order to reduce pricing for insulin uh, and epinephrine. And she says, do Democrats want higher insulin prices? This is a big question. It could turn into a big political hot potato. Keep an eye out, not just for these issues and these uh, healthcare specific needs. We'll see if this is going to be expanded to other healthcare needs as well. Now, back to you, Dr. Dina. Thanks so much, Carrie. Yeah, you know what, Carrie? I am hearing a ton about that from our viewers and from my listeners on my podcast at justthenews.com. Also, um, people are really concerned about this. It's, it's mind-blowing that with everything we've been through with COVID and all the people out of work and out of jobs, uh, that, that they would also, that the Biden administration would also make people take this kind of hit on their medicine. Anyway, um, thank you for following up on that, Carrie, and do keep us posted. Now, let's head out to our Denver headquarters where Jessica Rivera is standing by. Jessica, what do you have for us today? Well, Dr. Gina, on December 8th, 2020, Water Futures joined the gold and oil trade on Wall Street for the very first time ever. Now investors, farmers, and others are able to bet on the future price of water. For some people, this may not seem like a big deal, since other commodities like gold and oil have been trading for years. But the difference is, it should make people aware that America is running low on water, and people are getting rich on it. But unlike oil and gold, water is the most important natural resource on Earth, and the one all life depends on. Water is needed for people, animals, and the food supply to survive. Without water, life will cease to exist. According to forecasts, by 2025, nearly two-thirds of the world's population is expected to face water shortages. But Dr. Gina, now maybe this is a coincidence, but the next thing I'm going to tell you I found interesting uh, about the water supply, and that is that we found out just recently reports show that Bill Gates is now our nation's largest private farm land owner with 242,000 acres. And as you can see by the map, he owns a lot of the land on the coast and the Great Lakes. So even though reports are saying it's very unclear why Gates has invested so heavily in farmland, I'm going to put two and two together and just say that I think Gates is not just buying the land specifically for the farming, but rather for the large water supply that these farmlands sit on. And Dr. Gina, as the late Henry Kissinger said, who controls the food supply controls the people. So I'm reporting this to our viewers, not really to be an alarmist, but to know your land and water rights and how you can access clean water. Because I know here in Colorado, we're the only state, but it's illegal to collect rainwater. And since I'm on a well, I know access and rights to water is very different than it is in the city. So I encourage our viewers to think about this, because if there's anything that 2020 taught us, it's how we should prepare for the unexpected. A lot of people are doing just that. Sounds like it's time to buy a desalination uh, a program for myself. And, you know, Jessica, this is really interesting. I was going to ask you when you started talking about this, if this had something to do with environmentalism. And it sounds like maybe it does um, turning water into, I mean, water is a commodity, but turning it into a, um, a paid commodity like this is a very interesting thing. Do, do people think, uh, do, are there projections as to what this will do? 
um, with the cost of water for consumers? Well, yeah, so, so now it's a commodity, right? So once it hits the stock market, it now is basically people are going to make money um, on betting that the water is only going, the price is going to rise because there's going to be less and less of it. And so that's what, in the end, people are kind of betting on and getting rich doing because obviously, you know, in stocks there's plenty of money. Um, and since, like I said, in, in December it became a commodity, that's really how that all works. So in the end, it looks like the ultimate losers will be us Americans who will have to foot the bill and try to find clean water because people with lots of money won't have that to worry about. So yes, it, the price is going to go up exponentially, they're expecting in the next few years. Oh, that's terrifying. And, and just one more question for you, Jessica, if you happen to come across this in your reading. I don't mean to uh, catch you off guard in any way, but I'm fascinated by this because I moved to Florida from California, as you know, where uh, Governor Brown used to um, actually sweep um, millions of gallons of water per day into the ocean um, to save five fish, not five species of fish, five actual fish um, that were, I believe, not even endangered. It was the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life, and it starved the farmers. As many know this story, I started writing about it back probably uh, about 10 years ago, actually, when nobody would heard this story. President Trump made it quite famous. Um, but um, because of that, I became very interested in this story then. Um, will this at all in any way improve the public water? Because sometimes competition can improve you know, public water and things like, you know, taste and sanitation and, and availability. Will it in any way prove that or will it take down uh, the quality? Do you know? I'm thinking, I, I mean, I don't know it for a fact. I can definitely look into it, but I can only guess guess at this point that things are not going to probably go towards the better end of things. Uh, they would probably go down in the taste and things of that nature because now we're dealing with something that they want to get out as fast as possible to basically get that ROI when it comes to the private industry water. Um, and then obviously public water, you know, there's only so much to go around, so bills will go up. All right, Jessica. Well, you do keep us posted on that. I always love the stories you bring us. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. All right, and now we are back to South Florida. You can see me starting to turn here because I'm all excited because we have Sophie Mann in studio with us from our Washington, D.C. studios and uh, very excited to have you with us today. And uh, Sophie, we are hearing incredible stories coming out of Washington, D.C. First of all, I'm glad to have you here. Welcome to sunshiny free, colorful, summery Florida. Does it feel good to be here? I'm so glad to be here, not only with uh, the America's Voice crew in, in South Florida, but, you know, just out of the D.C. cold for a hot <laughs> second. We're not militarized. <laughs> you can actually go to dinner. Certainly there are no concrete You can breathe. Barriers. You don't have to wear a mask. All these good things. And the COVID rates are really low. That's true. Because when you don't put all those uh, things, all those restrictions on people, mm -hmm. it's amazing what freedom does. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to ask you, I um, woke up to the news like a lot of folks did, mm -hmm. that Mike Lindell is now one of the cancel culture victims. Uh, who knows who's next? Uh, what is just the news telling us about this? Well, so what we're hearing about Mike Lindell today is that he's been kicked off of Twitter permanently, banned, restricted, not able to access his followers any longer. Now, obviously, we've seen a wave of this happen in the past week, especially since the post-January 6th incident where um, the president, or former president at this point, got kicked off Twitter. So 
What does this mean for Mike Lindell? He is the MyPillow CEO. He has been a vocal supporter of President Trump for the past four years. And just last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago at this point, was spotted at a White House meeting that drew a lot of media attention. In the time since then, Twitter has, you know, continued to crack their whip and remove a lot of different accounts from its site, including Mike Lindell's. Now, the real reason that that is especially a problem for Mr. Lindell is that there are rumors that he is potentially planning a run for the governorship of Minnesota, his current home state. Um, and if he doesn't have access to his followers, you know, this he, he this is not former President Trump. This isn't somebody with a ton, a ton, a ton of, you know, bases to connect with in a variety of ways. He needs to be connecting directly with his specific local constituents. And Twitter has at this moment removed his ability to do so. And so we will see, you know, if that run is even real at all, how he moves forward and what sort of new directions he's going to take his, he's going to have to take his communication in because Twitter, you know, pulled, pulled the reins from him. Okay. And there's a new organization called Birdwatch. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, so Twitter, Twitter is, you know, almost as many executive actions from them as from Joe Biden this week. Um, they, so they've established this new program called Birdwatch. And what it basically is, is sort of a group sharing like comment monitoring activity so in the past year or so just about a year at this point we've seen twitter come up with a lot of new labels labels saying this is misinformation or we don't feel that enough context has been given to this in some cases we saw it a lot with trump they would take the tweet down entirely i mean th these aren't just things that have applied to president trump they've applied to a lot of twitter's users so what twitter is doing and what's worth noting is that basically when those sort of labels are applied the perception is that the Twitter gods, the, the uh, executives on high at Twitter headquarters are saying, you can't say this, you can't say that. Um, so it very much seems like corporate decision making. What Twitter is now trying to do is create a subsection of individual users to self-monitor its more global platform. Meaning that at this point, so it's still basically in beta testing, so it won't apply to the entire site immediately, but it is saying, so let's say I post a tweet that has some sort of an article about COVID rates in it. This section of people will, at that point, go into conversation with one another and determine, is this fake news? Is it real news? Does there need to be more context applied? Should there be a warning or not? Sort of a little bit akin to the YouTube thumbs up, thumbs down section. Um, it's unclear at this point how Twitter, how Twitter will be monitoring sort of the quality content of right. these discussions. And if this is sort of a, a lot of the backlash we've seen just today is that this is a little bit of a way of outsourcing, um, you know, 1984 style observance of not just fellow Americans, but, you know, it's, it's a global platform. So sort of the global community being asked to spy on one another in this very odd and sort of Orwellian way. Um, and they don't exactly know how it's going to play out yet, which is, uh, I suppose, why it's in beta testing right now. But um, I, I think that certainly something that we all extrapolated from the news release was that the executives at Twitter are tired of taking the flack for, you know, tagging certain people's tweets wrong or right. And so they're outsourcing it to their users, which is sort of this very weird paradigmatic shift on the company's part. Wow. Very interesting. Well, we'll keep watching, won't we? We All right. sure will. Well, it's nice to have you in South I'm Florida. I'm so glad to be here. I hope you get some uh, good sunshine time. And uh, thank you so much for coming in and Thanks for taking me. the time. All right, absolutely. Coming up, John Solomon has more of the documents declassified by President Trump just hours before he left the White House. You won't believe what those reveal. Stay right where you are. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming up. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. 
With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, more big Russiagate news is posted over at justthenews.com. The latest headline reads, Declassified the Russia information, I'm sorry, the Russia informant transcript the FBI didn't want Americans to see. So, what is it that the FBI didn't want us to see? John Solomon knows. And he is here with us right now. John, so good to see you. John, what do these Great latest documents say? Thanks. What do these latest documents say that the FBI was hiding about the Russia investigation? They had a plan and they didn't follow it on uh, Trump-Russia uh, collusion. And here's what it was. They had decided, based on Christopher Steele's dossier, they were going to run an informant up against uh, Carter Page, the primary target of the investigation. And their plan called for, if they caught him on tape acknowledging Russia collusion, they'd advance the investigation. And if he knocked it down, if he denied knowing people, they would move on to something else. Well, guess what happened? The informant, Stefan Helper, did exactly what he was instructed. He quizzed uh, Carter Page. Carter Page didn't know he was talking to an FBI informant. He thought he was talking to uh, a fellow academic. And on all of the key allegations, that had been lodged against uh, Carter Page by the Steele dossier, by other information the FBI had, Carter Page systematically knocked it down. I didn't meet with those Russians. I didn't change the platform. I stayed away from it. I didn't do this. I don't know that. He, he uh, really debunked everything that Christopher Steele had planted in the FBI's mind. And despite that, four days later, just four days later, after having it all knocked down, the FBI walked over to the FISA court and said, we need to spy on Carter Page. Here's all the things we think he did, and they didn't tell the court that they had debunked that information just four days earlier. It's the ultimate example of the ruse, the intentional misleading of the FISA court that the FBI under James Comey and Andrew McCabe pulled off, and we now call it Russia collusion. And how come we're just finding out all of this? The FBI fought for four years to keep this from the American public. Uh, first, they kept it from the FISA court, which is a much more serious matter. Could involve criminality there. But they fought like the Dickens to keep this away from Congress, to keep it away from uh, public release and FOIA. Even Carter Page, who's pursuing litigation, didn't know this transcript existed and couldn't remember exactly what he said. I reached out to him last night, shared a copy of the transcript with him. And he said, of all the things that have come public in the Russia collusion, this may have been the most shocking and horrifying. Really pretty remarkable that when the FBI wants to keep a secret, it can, and when it doesn't, it leaks to the news media. And, and you know, you look at the news media, and, John, I'm not seeing this reported across the board. I, I flipped around. Um, it's not trending on Twitter. Um, certainly, if the information were sort of the counter of this, I think it would be trending, uh, you know, on, on most of the news outlets, John. Um, so once again, we have a very lopsided media that doesn't seem to want to report um, the, the truth to the American people. When we have an American populace very interested in this, I mean, your news site is doing extremely well. People want to know about this. 
Yeah, listen, millions of people have read these declassification stories over the last week. Lots of people care. Uh, great uh, programs like Real America's Voice is doing it. Uh, but, you know, some of the stalwarts, including Fox News, the news division at least, and others just aren't covering this information as important as it is to the American public. Why do you cover it? It isn't just because Donald Trump was wrong or Carter Page was wrong. You want to expose it so that no one is tempted again to pull off another dirty trick like what the FBI and the Clinton campaign pulled off in Russia collusion. You want to protect America for the future abuses like what we've been done. And it's really a failure of the media to willfully ignore this. It's a, it's a sad thing. And yet, you know, we're going to get that story out to millions of people because of these great new outlets that we have available to us, like Real America's Voice. Yeah, I, I think no matter what side of, of whatever politics this happens on, these issues are really important and need to be reported. John, I want to ask you about the interview that you did on your podcast with John Paul McIsaac, the computer shop owner who ended up yeah. with Hunter Biden's laptop. Fascinating, so important. Everybody needs to know about this. It was such an incredible in-depth interview, but we grabbed a little of it. So let's listen to a little of it, and then awesome. I want you to expand on it. So your dad's in New Mexico. He takes a copy of the the drive and he brings it to some people he knows at the FBI in Albuquerque. Is that correct? I uh, didn't know these people. Just kind of walked into the, the branch office and uh, the, the FBI agent that he spoke to refused to give his name and then said, you better lawyer up and get out of my office. I want to say it was November 21st-ish. Uh, two agents showed up to my house. So they never brought up money laundering at all, which that seems kind of odd, but uh, they, they wanted to hear my concerns. I explained to them that there's powers foreign and domestic that are involved. There's a lot of money involved. Somebody someday is going to look for this. And... You better lawyer up and get out of my office. You know, John, I woke up <laughs> to reading that headline and thought, my goodness, why isn't this the, the number one most trending headline everywhere in the world? Tell us more about uh, what we heard and didn't have time to play here on the show that you deem most important. You know, uh, first off, this was a man that uh, in the days leading up to the November 3rd election was accused by more than 50 security officials, uh, the former CIA director, John Brennan, the news media of being a Russian disinformation artist. We now know those allegations were false. This laptop was always authentic. The FBI had it and was investigating it for a year before we learned about it. And yet he was smeared. He was canceled. He was blocked. He was forced to give up his Delaware uh, life and particularly his, his shop because of the hate that occurred because he had been falsely accused. He told the truth and yet the FBI seemed disinterested in the truth. Think about what we just talked about. When the FBI gets disinformation, Russian disinformation against Donald Trump, because that's what Christopher Steele's dossier was ultimately concluded to be, Russian disinformation, they follow it despite the fact that the law said they should have dropped it, they should have absolved people, instead they kept investigating them. Then when information comes in about the Democrats and Joe Biden, they look the other way. They try to force the guy out the door, tell him to lawyer up, scare him off. What a dual system of justice these two stories expose when you put them side by side. The FBI used to be one of the few places in government that stayed above politics. And you see in these last four years, starting with the Comey-McCabe years, the FBI is as political as any other political institution in Washington. That's bad for America. And when they say, well, how do you prove politics? Take a look at some of the text messages, not just Struck and Page, they're well known. Andy McCabe got a text message, the deputy director of the FBI, the day that Brexit passed in uh, London, and someone said, oh, what a sad day for 
United Kingdom. And he wrote back, I hope it isn't a harbinger of what might happen here in the United States in November, meaning we don't want Trump to win. Is that the right. type of people we want running the FBI? I don't think so. And John, I guess, you know, the thing that I always come back to is, you know, in the news business, you don't want to ascribe motive to people because that's not the job of someone who's a true journalist, John. Um, but yeah. it's also not the job of those in our agencies paid by taxpayers to have such motives. And yet they seem to go unscathed. So I know the, the glaring question right there, like a neon sign, just just uh, strobing at us uh, from this audience is, will anyone be punished? Because it seems that these people go unscathed. There are five senior FBI officials that, according to my reporting, have not yet been interviewed by John Durham. I think if you're in that class, if you're one of those five officials, you have not been yet interviewed, you're likely to be someone that they're investigating right now. What I'm told from my sources, lawyers that are familiar with what's going on, defense lawyers, people negotiating, cooperating agreements, is that John Durham is building a conspiracy case, conspiracy to defraud the courts, the FISA court, conspiracy to defraud or deceive Congress, lie to Congress, and that we will see whether he can pull the trigger on that in the first quarter of this year. If it goes beyond March, I think it's unlikely that we'll see any accountability, but right now, a very active investigation ongoing in the grand jury and in the courts. There are some secret court cases where they're fighting out issues related to subpoenas, but a very active investigation for those who are seeking accountability. I think that's their best hope. If it weren't for you, John Solomon, and your great investigators at our partners here at Just the News, we wouldn't know any of this. And, uh, wow. so, and I know that you'll keep it coming. And so we're tremendously thankful for you, John. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking thanks, the time. Thanks, Gina. It means a lot. Tonight. Thank you. All right, Scott, thank you. Scott Rasmussen's latest poll, Making Shockwaves in the Political World. Is it time to start the Patriot Party? Ah, that debate is not going away, is it? We'll have more debate on that coming up next. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming around the corner. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Last week, we had John Fredericks and Maggie Vandenberg in studio to debate the merits of ditching the Republican Party and starting a new Patriot Party. And I received as much response after that segment as I did after any show. And now, Scott Rasmussen's latest poll on this very topic, making big waves in the political world. It asked, if, pres if President Trump left the Republican Party and formed the Patriot Party, how would you vote in the 2024 presidential election? And that poll found that only 17% would vote Republican, 46% would vote Democrat, and 23% would vote for the Patriot Party. Now, after the results of that poll were released, there are a lot of big names in conservative circles saying that it might be time to take that plunge. So, what would that look like? 
Is that the worst idea ever? Back with me now to continue this debate from last week, John Fredericks, and in studio with me, Maggie Vandenberg. John, last week you were very much against the idea of forming a new party. Did you change your mind about that since the release of this poll? I know the answer to this. I don't know why my producer wrote the question like that. (laughs) Worst idea since nominating Mitt Romney in 2012. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Even having this conversation is wasting our time. If you like losing, if you want the Democrats to have a majority in the next 30 or 40 years or in perpetuity, wow, that's really going to feel good. You look at the polls, you feel good, you tweet about it, you go on Facebook, you go have a beer. You know what you get done? Nothing. This is mind masturbation in its purest form. It makes no sense. You know why it makes no sense? Because the Republicans have 17%. The Patriot Party has already taken it over. All we have to do is go to work. Join your local units. Get involved. Take the party over. Okay, they don't John. have any voters. They have a donor. Okay, John. Yes. Okay, John. But, but I want to let Maggie in here because here's the thing. It is true that the president said that he did not want to change the party quite yet, but he said that before this poll came out. The fact that this poll... Um, The Patriot Party beats the GOP, says that there was a groundswell, and I find this fascinating, Maggie. There was a groundswell of support for a new party before before there was ever even word one about a poll or really any any kind of campaign for this or any kind of real uh, promotion of this idea. That says there are enough people that are angry enough about this. And then you combine those people, and I think this is where we kind of ended our discussion the last time. You look at the people who are in the Republican Party that are angry about things like what John Fredericks himself told me, which a lot of people don't know, um, that the GOP didn't show up at the races in uh, the Senate races in Georgia. Um, They weren't there to even oversee that the ballots were counted properly. They went on vacation in Amelia Island instead of actually doing their job. Um, there are a lot of people that are angry about the candidates they put up for decades now. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that just do not, they, they're tired of the Mitt Romneys of the world. They're tired about being given fake presidential candidates and all the rest of it. They're just done. They want a party that they feel like is run with the values of uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. And I, and I feel like you have touched on it exactly. And myself and so many other Americans, we are done. We are done with the uni party. This isn't even necessarily about the Republican Party. This is about what the Republican Party has become, which is really this uni party, this globalist agenda. And this is the reason why they never really fully supported Donald Trump, is they were never on board with the America First agenda. And this is why I think we see so many Republicans kind of cowering or going over to the Democrat side. And we don't see the America First agenda being put forward in, uh, in these candidates. And so I think that by creating a new party, I think we have an opportunity to actually do more than trying to reform the GOP, which is what we've been trying to do for the last four years. And while I, I know... Four John, years. Four, four years, and a lot, a lot <laughs> longer before that, too. Right. And I think that, you know, John and many others see this as, you know, a dream for the Democrats if we were to actually try to form a new party. I don't even like to say third party. 
party. I like to say a new party because this is an alternative to kind of the, the uni party that we currently have in the House and Senate. And so I think that... And when you say uniparty, I just want to stop to explain that for just a moment to our viewers who aren't maybe thinking this way because it caught me off guard just a little bit. You mean the Republicans and Democrats are one party. Yes. And you're talking about creating a counterparty to the Republican Democrat Party, which you see as one party. Yeah. I you're not seeing uh, this as, a, as an answer to the GOP. You're seeing this as an answer to the Democrat Republican Party, which you see as one party. I see that's an more important and more, point. I really see that we have a major problem in this country of people that are in office forever and they really have this globalist agenda. Uh, and it's not the America First agenda. Right. And so I think this is why they voted against Trump. They voted to certify a fraudulent election uh, and they don't have the American people's values at at the core. But what there. about the point that John made that that hands it to the Democrats for 30 years? What's your answer to that? I, I think we've already basically our country is so far gone now with what we saw happen in the last election. So you don't dispute that. I, I don't think that we're handing it to the Democrats. I think we have a chance to re to get our country back from the globalists. By, by by attracting Democrats and Libertarians and independent Republicans. Yes, yes. Okay. I, think, and, I think even we could get some Bernie people on board. But this is a true anti-establishment grassroots uprising and taking this, this MAGA movement and this momentum and putting it into a new party, I think could have tremendous impact, especially if we have someone like Donald Trump leading the way. Why won't that work, John? Maggie, there is no establishment. It doesn't exist. It's a handful of people. This is what I've been trying to say. We are so close right now to taking the party over. First of all, we took it over in Cleveland in 2016 when nobody said we could win. We came from nowhere. We took over the platform. We took over the party. Just recently, when you had the number of congressmen, Republican congressmen, there were over 110 of them, I think, or 113 or something, that signed the letter that there was fraud in the election and it should go back to the states. Remember that. That was only three weeks ago. We got the majority of the rhinos and never Trumpers. We got rid of them in 2018. They either got beat or they didn't run for re-election. You look at the people running for president right now. If Trump decides not to run, the only never Trumper in there right now is Nikki Haley. You got Josh, um, is, is Nikki Haley. You got... Um, you got uh, 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 Josh, Josh Hawley from Arkansas. You've got, uh, you got Tom Cotton. Right? I mean, T Tom Cotton from Arkansas, Josh Hawley from Missouri, and many, many others. Plus, Trump might run again. So this makes no sense when we're five, five seats away in 2018 from getting the House back. We are w one senator away from getting a majority in the Senate back. What our job now as America First believers and non-globalists, as Maggie says, is to nominate America First candidates in every Republican primary in 2018, and I'm sorry, in 2022. And we can do that because we have 75 million voters, and even if you look at that poll, we have 23%, they have 17%. They can't win if we mobilize and focus they can't okay, John, but, but in fairness, in, any in fairness, 
in fairness, that was a that was a literal uh, shock poll. I mean, that was an off the off the cuff with no marketing whatsoever, with no one advocating for that. There's not even uh, you know other than Donald Trump throwing it out there once. There was no you know I, I don't know that that means you know that 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 it wouldn't gain a lot more momentum once it had its legs. Um, but Maggie, you know, John does make the point that you know if 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 the elections are back in place, and obviously Donald Trump has already announced an effort to, you know, restore integrity to elections. That's step one. Everybody gets yeah. that. That has to be done first. Um, if, if that's done and we are that close, then what's the point of forming a new party and, and taking that risk? See, I don't see it as being that close. And I do think that many of the these America First GOPers, I do think they would come over to the new party if this were something that was really a serious effort, not just a, a half effort. So I also think that John, by saying that it's going to take 30 or 40 years to get this thing kind of, uh, you know, on track, I don't think it would take that long because I think millions of people would go out and change their party registration today because right now we have the anger, we have the momentum. Uh, and I think that, that so many people who are checking out of politics after this point, it's actually going to capture those people. So I, I don't know. I see it very different. I think there's massive opportunity to actually change the system, which is very broken. And, you know, so many people feel like we have to take over the GOP because there's already this infrastructure in place. And to me, I, I just don't really, I don't know. I feel to like me, we gave them that chance. I feel like we gave them that chance and we tried and still they certified a fraudulent election and they threw Trump under the bus after January 6th. And I think that Americans are fed up. They feel like they've given everything the last three years. And I mean, I feel like I gave everything. I put, I, I, I stuck my neck out. I went out of my way. I campaigned for the GOP. And then to see them just uh, hand this over and get bullied into a corner and sign off and, and certify this election. I mean, what are we doing for them? I, I don't want to give them my money or time anymore. And John, your response. The they is us. This is what I can't seem to get across. There is no they. They're at they're at 17% of the vote. So you just take it over. It's already there. They've got 17%. We've got 23 with no marketing, no infrastructure, nothing. They're never going to win another primary. Don't give the establishment or whatever you want to call them the they. Don't give them any money. It dries up. Give our candidates the money running in Republican primaries. My, my, my real concern with this is it's an easy solution that sounds good and feels good. Like going to eat Chinese food, you come home after an hour, you're eating a potato chip because you're hungry. There's nothing there. What we have to do is we're gonna get to work. That's the tough part. That's what didn't happen in Georgia. I told you that was not happening. The tough part is Get involved in your local units, become a chairman, take it over, and then the they is us. Okay, John, so what are you going to do if Donald Trump says, I'm heading up the Patriots Party? Talk him out of it. <laughs> but what if he's what if he says that's what I'm doing and, and you can love me or you can leave me? You can be the Patriots Party or you can be the GOP. I'm not going to play hypotheticals. I don't think it's going to get to that because Donald Trump has been able to build major businesses, major skyscrapers from nothing. He understands infrastructure. He understands foundation. He understands cement and steel. 
And so this undertaking is an effort in insanity. It's not going to accomplish anything but dividing what we already have and keeping the Democrats in power. I mean, when you talk about t starting a third party, you're talking about running candidates, running candidates for Congress, running candidates for the Board of Supervisors, running candidates for U.S. Senate. You're never going to get one of these elected in the near term because you're not going to have a majority because some of the Republicans are simply not going to vote for the Patriot Party candidate. So you split some of that vote and the Democrats win and then you don't have a country. I mean, we're this close. You know, it's the, the, this whole thing about the establishment. Where the establishment when we take it over and then we can just change the name, not call it the establishment. We are so close. This party is nothing. It represents absolutely nothing anymore. They stand for nothing. All they have, I'm telling you, Maggie, they have a spreadsheet and a donor list and a phone. That's all they have. And we're going to take it over lightning fast. They're out. We're in. We remake it in our image, America first. John, I have one, one really quick, I want you really quickly to respond to this, though. How far does the GOP have to go before you will be ready to say, all right, I'm done? Well, I think if, if okay, if it's 2022 and we don't nominate a string of America first candidates for Congress and U.S. Senate, and we don't oust nine of the ten, nine of the ten, that's 90 percent, of the Congress people that voted uh, for Trump to be impeached, then I'll come on the show and I'll say, you know what, I was wrong. We couldn't get the job done. It's time to leave. I don't think All that's right. going to happen. I think we're going to ask nine to ten of them, and I think we're going to nominate very uh, pro-Trump, America first candidates, and then you get them in office, and then you take over the party. But you got to get okay. involved. you got to work. Right, right. I think everybody knows that. All right, Maggie, your final thoughts. So I just wanted to respond to a couple of things that John brought up. And John, I actually agree with you when it comes to uh, this idea that basically if Trump's not on board, I really don't think it's going to happen. I don't think this thing is going to have legs. No. Uh, but when it comes to infrastructure, I want people to think about something. When it's time to build a new house, are we really going to, is it easier, I guess, to tear down the existing house and build a new house or to completely redo the house like from the bottom up and it's actually always easier and faster to just tear it down and build a new house and so i kind of feel like when it comes to this infrastructure argument we sort of have to think about it that way or think about it like a company and if you were to buy a company and everyone within the company doesn't work well with others and there's corruption it's going to take 12 to 18 months just to root those people out figure out who they are and get new people in there and I think in the long run, it actually takes more time and is more expensive, as opposed to just starting with a skeleton crew and building from the grassroots and coming back from there. So I want people to kind of think about that. And um, the other thing I also want people to think about is, I think that President Trump has built great things in his life. And mm. I feel like there's this entrepreneurial spirit and this want to do something new and better than trying to just continually fix something that isn't working. And so in that entrepreneurial spirit, because Americans are entrepreneurial, why don't we try something new? We've been trying this for years and it hasn't been working. So I think this is a debate we should continue to have. And I think it's something that President Trump should really think about and that, that we should continue exploring.
Very well articulated on both sides. Thank you both so much. I appreciate you both, Maggie Vanderberg and John Fredericks, two of the best debaters on this topic for sure. Thank you. I appreciate you both. Coming up, the streaming platform Disney Plus has blocked children from watching some Disney movies that have been deemed racist. You won't believe which movies have been flagged. We're going to tell you. Coming up, stick around. More Dr. Gina Prime Time right after this. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Primetime. The streaming platform Disney Plus has blocked children under the age of 17 from watching some Disney movies because they've deemed them racist. Pretty much everything's racist today, though. The walls, the floor, the grass, you name it. Uh, Dumbo and Peter Pan and the Aristocats are not able to be viewed by children on that platform. <laughs> Here to react to this is our West Coast correspondent, Amanda Head. Amanda, great to see you. Amanda, if these movies are racist for children, then why are they okay for 17-year-olds? That's my first question. But what if a 17-year-old watches Dumbo and then becomes a racist? It happens, I'm sure. <laughs> my, my, how Disney has changed. For those who aren't aware, Walt Disney actually uh, went to Washington, D.C., I believe in 1946, and petitioned Congress. He went before the Senate and testified about how Hollywood was being taken over by communists. Uh, all of that aside, now listen, I have to be completely honest, I was never a big fan of Dumbo. I found him to be weak and far too vulnerable to outside opinions and influences. But I grew up on these types of movies. It's okay if you're, if, honestly, if your six-year-old is thinking about how the term redskin is triggering, then you might have much bigger problems than these films. Now, with Peter Pan, here's another sticky spot, Gina. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it lately, but Tinkerbell, the way that she gets vitality in life is when people applaud her. And I'm not sure in, in this newest generation where everybody's entitled to praise and everybody gets a, you know, a participation trophy, I'm just not sure that that's the right message to send to that population. But yes, of course, this is political correctness run amok. Look, I grew up on these movies and I turned out okay. I don't think I'm a racist, so... Yeah, and, and I'm just not even going to go with any of the beta males, notwithstanding in this whole conversation. Anyway, Amanda, I want to ask you about a few. I'm a lot more concerned about my children seeing those sorts of examples than I am about them becoming racist because they watch them. And, and whatever happened, by the way, to parents sitting next to their children and sorting through these things? You know, my grandfather left my children a collection of old books, and from time to time they'll come across a word that is not 
not of our time. You know, it's just not how we refer to people. And uh, I have a yeah. very mixed ethnicity in my background, and I have to explain to my children, this is not the way we talk. And my children are horrified when they see this. You know, they're like, oh, mama, look how they talked then. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how we, that's why we've made improvements in our culture, and we don't refer to people that way anymore. Isn't that great that we've come so far in American history, and we live differently now? Isn't that great? It's a shame that people but can't. Gina. Uh, that's a yeah. lot of work. That's a lot of effort. Parenting is hard, man. <laughs> right. Parenting is hard. Amanda, I want to ask you about a couple other stories I see floating around out there. This one from Just the News. Um, it says that Fauci is the highest paid employee in the federal government. He makes more than the president. Well, a lot more than President Trump made since he only made a dollar and I think returned all the rest of it. Amanda, um, can I assume that you think that Fauci is overpaid despite the fact that he <laughs> thinks we should wear, what, are we up to like 16 masks now? I don't know. That is the most diplomatic to say, way to say what I am feeling because what I'm feeling about this <laughs> I can't say on air. Yeah, Dr. Fauci is the most... Uh, it was paid the most. Donald Trump was paid the least. But here's my concern about Dr. Fauci. Not only is the, you know, the price tag on his salary exorbitant, but he also, you know, in, in his position handling COVID, he had carte blanche. It was basically complete, unchecked, unencumbered power to tell us whatever he thought was true at the time. He told us not to wear masks. Then he told us to wear masks. Then hydrochloroquine was healthy. Then it wasn't. Then it was again. Now it's banned or now, or I don't know, maybe it's not banned now. Who even knows? But the situation <laughs> is, is that, you know, what are the repercussions for someone like him who gives inaccurate and possibly dangerous information because you know we've all seen the commercials on tv you can sue uh for anything from prescriptions to iud's to to baby powder so what are the repercussions right. for someone like him who gets paid so much and could possibly be giving incorrect and dangerous information i'm going to right. amend a phrase that my parents used to say to me if you can't say something correct don't say it at all exactly all right amanda it is time for our meme of the day Amanda, we have a cute little guy here saying, if you need protection from the people at your inauguration, then maybe you weren't elected by the people. Amanda, you were in D.C. during the inauguration. What do you think of this? Yeah, Quickly. not only if you need protection, <laughs> but if you need protection from the protection. Remember, they went through and booted a bunch of the National Guard troops because That's they right. mentioned things in their social media profile. So if you need protection right. from the protection for your inauguration, then things might not seem right. And Gina, you know That's I was right. there at the edge of the property of the Capitol for this yeah. installment ceremony. Yeah. and. Yep. And nothing about it seemed like a normal inauguration. That's right. That's right. Amanda, thanks for being here. And thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks to everyone at your new home for real news. We appreciate you being with us. Stay tuned for live from Studio 6B. Happy birthday to my little Sam. Hug your children. Love your God. Go boldly now. Live the truth. Good.